for example, this week, a client I've been working with for a few weeks now mm-hmm. messaged me to say, sorry, can you redo this voiceover for me? Because I showed it to my mum. Right. And she said, why does it sound like he's doing a documentary? So on the request of a client's mother, R- okay. I had to redo a voiceover. A voiceover for, for what kind of thing? For selling internet. So for like an advert. It, it sounded like you were doing a documentary. But you were doing an advert. According to the client's mum, it sounded like I was doing a documentary, therefore I had to do it again. What was the advert for, vaguely? We don't want to expose them. (laughs) It was the internet provider being embodied in a superhero. And the superhero was there to save the day. Right, and you were the superhero voice? No, I was the narrator. I was just explaining what was going on. And apparently, I was too much Sir David Attenborough and less... Samuel L. Jackson. Right, so I'm assuming you did it again and and it was more well-received. Right, but but the client now, as of the last 10 minutes, mm-hmm. has uh, suggested that we move into we move away from superheroes right. and we steal the IP of James Bond and rename him Broadband Bond. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Okay, and... <laughs> so bad. And then, you know, I wrote a script, I, I came up with a script and said... He'll leave your Wi-Fi shaken and stirred. I don't think you can do that. Right. Okay, yeah, I said that to them. And the client's response was, hmm, can we change this to shooketh and stirred? Because shooketh is trending. Is it? No, but apparently... Shooketh was trending like five years ago. (laughs) So that was my point. I said, look, this James Bond reference is not going to work if you go for shooketh. No one's going to get it. Yeah. But here we are. The joys of working with clients. I feel like they're going to get in trouble if they just directly copy-paste an IP like that. Well, I mean, the first one they had an issue with was when I told them this at the time. And the thing is, like, they're not based in Britain, so I get that. It's it's different trying to break into a, a local market. Yeah. They said, hey, can we use the Ghostbusters theme mm. and uh, we'll get that on the radio oh. and you can talk about how our broadband is getting rid of the ghastly internet speeds. Oh-ho. I said, okay, I'll write a script, I'll do the voiceover for you, but you will not be able to pay the money for that yeah, theme. You'll get, and they in, said, you'll get in trouble, yeah. They, they, they were like, no, it's fine, it's fine. And then, of course, they replied the next day saying, okay, it's going to cost us £100,000 to license in, this indeed. song. Yes, it would. It would. Let's come up with something new. I mean, you get paid. That's the good thing is that you instead of instead of saying before the fact, hey, don't do this, you can do it and then say this was a bad idea and you'll still get paid. So out there, there is a, a beautifully edited oh, Ghostbusters Wi-Fi advert, which will never see the light of day. But can you give us a can you give us a sneaky peek? Absolutely not. Ah, no, no chance. Plus, I don't want to get sued by uh, Ghostbusters. So. You know, keeping my eggs in this basket. Uh, yeah, no, yeah. Imagine getting sued for different things. We we are definitely not at risk of that. Certainly not, and certainly not from no defaming people. But anyway, James, <laughs> how's uh, how's your week been? How's the uh, how's client life? Uh, mine's been mine's been relatively okay. I I've been making up a wee bit of work myself, which is it's nice when you can just create work and do it and then get paid anyway. Nice. Um, and and I've done that relatively successfully. Um. The, the the weird thing for me, and it's kind of hard to it's kind of hard to live with this fact. Uh, quite a lot of this work that I've been doing, I can do while I am also streaming, so I get to hang out with whoever's there to chat with while I'm streaming things. Yeah, and those streams are more popular than my not work streams. Wow. Okay. And I don't know how to, I don't know how to put the put that into a box that I'm comfortable sitting in. Why? And well, why I don't know. Um, but it it, it kind of it feels a bit rough. Um, it, because 
I don't enjoy work. Well, there's there's maybe then an, an element of schadenfreude in the people who are watching. You know, it's James's suffering. Maybe, maybe it's a little bit of a... Let's observe. I, actually, that, that would make that would make decent sense. I could be, that could be the box that I sit in <laughs> okay. comfortably. But yeah, I, I prefer it if just like my my. I'm I've got free time. Let's spend it together. Streams where yeah. where the popular stuff. But hey, turns out that if I if I'm doing work, I can get double paid. So it's it's okay as well. Okay, well, welcome to the podcast, which we are yet to turn into money, but it's a work in progress. Episode someday someday we might <laughs> indeed episode two four seven of Cease Operate. I'm Colin, and he is James. I I am return to your actual name as opposed to your online name. That was magical. Plural, plural Jim is back. This is your new favourite podcast, Scotland's least dull podcast with the longest running season one of any entertainment slash mainly news these days podcast hey. of its kind. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I think we're doing good. I've been, I've been feeling it recently. Yeah, so have I. And clearly, so have the people who've been listening. And genuinely, I do think our move to Spotify has helped. It was a smart decision. We should have made it. Actually, we shouldn't have made it sooner because we made it after we started doing a reasonable effort. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And because we're now actually doing weekly episodes. Yeah. I do feel we're on a run, which is great. And as I say, listeners have been enjoying, which is great. Uh, Ross was complimenting the podcast. He he asked if we would be uh, discussing the Cairo the dog incident, which people can Google. I'm not going to explain it, but uh, oh, I, oh yeah, the answer to that is no. But I'm sure somebody somewhere will make a podcast about that. And uh, he did uh, also say that myself and Fair Jame have been consistently excellent Hello. the past few episodes. Ooh. Don't let this praise get to your heads. I won't. I won't. Thank you, Ross. I think the trick is that I've been really struggling to get good sleep. Um, so maybe the like delirium is adding a, a spice to the to the pod. And I think the trick for me is that I just don't care who's the ramifications of who's listening, <laughs> which I'll get to in just a second. We had uh, Dokio podcast get in touch to say, "Did you really call him Hat Mancock?" Yes, yes, we did. That's the t- that's t- yeah, that's tame. That's easy peasy. That's easy pickings. We're just going to leave that one there. And then, is this the first podcast to podcast correspondence? I might be actually, yeah. Which is madness. Interesting, getting really meta. And we also had a, to my to my previous comment there, Emel get in touch to say, Colin, are you not concerned that your Bitcoin expert persona may be under threat <laughs> because of how regularly and explicitly you talk about not being a Bitcoin expert on the podcast? Can I just clarify? Colin doesn't say that. No, I don't. I make fun of the fact that sometimes you say yes to work without realizing what it's about. Then you do the research and become an expert. Yeah. yeah. And then you talk about it. And then I say that he's not an expert. Exactly. And my opinion is garbo. I am never <laughs> correct about anything. And as, James, you reflected in the, the, the replies to this tweet, everything is satire. Everything. We are satirizing 100%. ourselves. That's why. We should actually end every single sentence in... Satirically. <laughs> Satirically. And uh, Shanana added, "He's Colin is clearly banking on the continued niche status of the pod. Just wait <laughs> Safe until bet. it blows up and all the cupboards get laid bare. <laughs> no. that's, a, that's a threat. <laughs> that would be the best gamble. You could put your life savings in that bet and be guaranteed a win. Yes, the niche status of this podcast, we will revel in that until yeah. the day comes when we are in the Daily Mail online. Oh, man. Oh, I wouldn't want... Imagine the comments. Imagine. Well, I mean, I don't want to imagine, to be honest. But... No. Yeah, that day, 
I would say, is uh, quite far away. You never know. Maybe post, maybe post death. We we wouldn't even have to live with it. I do wonder sometimes, and this is an incredibly grim way of of uh, bringing this uh, interaction section to a close. If I died, <laughs> would I get former TV presenter dies coverage? Would I get that? Oh, would you? Because maybe like locally. Because I, you know, when people die, they always have the tributes and stuff, and people find yeah. you know the the career hook. And for some people, it's oh, he was in the RAF, or you know, he was a yeah. dedicated family man. Would I get? former telepresenter and then I would be number one in the BBC News most read articles because people click on former TV presenter dies because they want to find out who it was you'd finally have nationwide notoriety and finally people would discover the podcast and then I wouldn't care because <laughs> dead anyway I was dead anyway oh man um, I don't know maybe you would get that it wouldn't be too bad though because that's your own achievement my, my one of my bugbears in life is that if I die right now um, I'm going to be like, famous streamer, sibling dies. <laughs> and that sucks. <laughs> Editor of famous streamer. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't want, I want that. If I die, I at least want um, to, to be my own headline. You know, I, I guess I really don't want any headlines. Ideally, I want to die and not have any headlines. The, the, the second step on the ladder of wishes would be if there are headlines, I'd like it to be that all the newspapers I don't like are kind of celebrating, that would be the second best death. Okay. And then, like, way down the ladder is if there's legitimate headlines about me because I've actually lived a significant life. I don't want that. Imagine being recognised by people you don't know. Ugh. Well, the Stornoway Gazette might write something. I'm sure they would, actually. About me? Well, yeah, absolutely. Let's run it. Let's run it. Let's run a test. You, you let them know I've died, and we'll see what happens. Do you know what? I think we could get some press coverage of Seesaw Parade in the Stornoway Gazette for episode 250. I'm not kidding. I don't want that. <laughs> I don't want that. Why not? We might get we might get some extra listeners. No, we would get some fake listeners. Some fakes. I don't want fakes. I don't want people that came here via like secondary means, primary only. Sorry, we will discuss the actual news in just a second because it is a significant episode, but let me just say last week on a similar note of we we don't want fake listeners. Last week, uh, myself and my two two of my brothers released a new oh, yeah. metalcore EP, three tracks on Spotify from uh, No Mercy Tom. You can go and check it out. And I was looking into how can we maximise the streaming of the first week? Because the first week's always the biggest one. That's the key week, yeah. And everywhere I was looking and everywhere I've ever seen, you know, free tutorials on boosting your Spotify numbers, uh-huh. their advice is spend money on advertising Boot. and and get those... Instagram adverts and Facebook adverts and instead of saying hey go listen to this go listen to our track you have to write the advert like this track is fire or this track is amazing yeah and it gives apparently gives people a sense of of missing out so maybe that's where that's where we went wrong with our seesaw parade advertising on Facebook where we got something like 2,000 impressions and not a single click. I mean, clearly we were just too much in our own you, heads. You say we. Or some other part of our anatomy. I, you say we, but I would never, I would never advertise on Facebook. <laughs> I got it for free, right? They offered me £10 credit. You got it for free, so it's okay. Yeah, it's okay. Um, maybe, and I think that's the thing about marketing, is that rather than saying, I think it's a shift in marketing, rather, is that rather than saying, um, here's an experience you could have, there is this shift towards, here's an experience you're currently missing. Do better. So the, the the tactic because we yeah I have not spent anything on advertising our EP yet. 
Yeah. But I have been spamming it on Twitter. And because over the last six months, I have cultivated friendships, and I'm using my air bracket quotes here in the air, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. cultivated friendships with random people on Twitter, Yes. halfway across the world, Yes. actually got some people who, who genuinely were promoting the EP because we've been tweeting back and forth for the last six months, which was really nice. Well done. No, that's legitimate. That's real. I, and so I, I discovered, sorry, my final point, I discovered that for us to become a massive band slash massive podcast, we just have to find people who we can build friendships with over like six to nine months. Yes. And then we start spamming links yes. everywhere. Six to nine months, and yeah. they say, hey, actually, we like this guy. We're going to spam this for you. Yes. And therefore, we grow our audience. So at the moment, we are on 45 monthly listeners for the band. Which is good, because before that, we were on four. Hey, that's a number. Yeah, that's that's a legit actual number. Um, and that's that's more than one listen a day. It huh? is, exactly. For, for for all of the months. No, I, I think, but you're, you are right, you are right, because connections and relationships is the key to growth in the current internet era. You see it on, on streaming platforms and uh, video platforms all the time where channels grow via collaboration oh, yeah, yeah. and exposure. You find either uh, a channel is way bigger than you or a similar size and you do a thing together, collaborate, and then everybody shares it and you get that audience okay. um, overlap. And that, that works. And we've, we we don't do that because we're amateurs. <laughs> no, we're not. So yeah, um, Nicola, would you like to come on the podcast? You've got a platform and we've got a platform of about equal size. Us in the SMP, similar size of platform. Let's uh, let's collab. Well, technically it's PERDA so that we can't talk about elections at the moment. We well, don't get paid for things. We can do whatever we want. We can, we can talk about whatever we want. But Nicola, yeah, after the election, sure. You know, we'll make it happen the same way we made it happen with Nigel Farage. <laughs> He promised. Okay. On that note, if you want to get in touch with Seesaw Parade, you can at Seesaw Parade on Twitter or Seesaw Parade at gmail.com. But James, it has been a news-heavy week. Indeed. So let's crack on, shall we? Absolutely. So, James, a jury has found police officer Derek Chauvin guilty of murder over the death of George Floyd in Minneapolis last year. Yes. Mr. Chauvin, of course, was filmed kneeling on Mr. Floyd's neck for nine minutes during his arrest, and the footage uh, sparked worldwide protests against racism and excessive use of force by police. Mm -hmm. Uh, Chauvin was on Wednesday or Tuesday unanimously found guilty on three charges, second and third degree murder, as well as manslaughter. Yeah, after a a pretty short... Um, deliberation, all things considered. It was swift, certainly. Sentencing is likely still a few months away and Chauvin could spend, emphasis on could, Could. spend decades in jail, but we will see. Yes. Uh, To add some context here, Mr Chauvin is the first white police officer to be convicted of murdering a black man in Minnesota history. We'll chat more about the bigger picture later. We had comments from 
leaders and people around the world, including President Joe Biden. We had some horrendously poorly chosen words from Nancy Pelosi. Oh, that was disgusting. She thanked George Floyd for his sacrifice, which was... Yeah, man, he's such a willing martyr for the cause. Oh, man. Bunch of sports teams and brands were attempting to get in on the action. They were tweeting, I can breathe, which was an incredibly bad taste. It went down as, as well as you can imagine. And I think Sajid Javid tweeted that Black Lives Matter, ah. having previously been in, in the party that was indicating that they didn't believe in such mantras. Indeed. Uh, and we also and had empty statements. a bunch of American right-wingers on my social media, Tommy Lauren, oh, yeah. Mike Chernovich, long list of the usual suspects who were predicting riots regardless of the verdict. <laughs> and yes. then they went very quiet when... Nothing happened. It's almost as if yes. when there's a tiny bit of accountability for the bad things that happen, people don't riot. Yeah, I did see, what is it, Stephen Crowder was posting yet more evidence that, that um, it wasn't actually the kneeling on the neck that killed that killed Floyd. We'll because Crowder's gone through some kneeling on his upper back and that's the same thing apparently because for right-wingers, anatomy doesn't exist and they just exist to mislead instead. Yep. And then Benjamin Shapiro suggested suggesting that if the verdict had come out not guilty, we wouldn't be saying it was justice. And I'm like, absolutely, lad, because there was video evidence. (laughs) So therefore, we can disagree with the process. I did see Mr. Shapiro get ratioed to high heaven because of that tweet. It was a particularly bad one. But anyway, James, I'd say there was a collective sigh of relief when the guilty verdicts came through because, as you say, Mm -hmm. there was genuine concern despite the nine-minute murder video, yeah. that justice wouldn't be done. So give me a sense, if you can, about about this moment as a whole, because it, it is genuinely historic. The big picture question, or the big picture moment, um, would be for me that, that that nervousness that we all had about the situation is the telling element. The fact that there was pretty hardline evidence with that video and with all of the... Um, prosecution witnesses and the lack of a decent defense um all of those things lining up to a whole globe still being nervous that maybe this won't be found yeah um maybe a guilty verdict won't be found is the most telling thing and it shows that the state of policing in america and beyond is questionable (laughs) to the to its core because we should have been, had utmost confidence in the system. Yep. And I don't think anybody did. When you even see conservative messaging boards saying that, hey, I think the second degree murder charge is, is probably a sure bet. When you're seeing that and you're still nervous, it really is telling. Um, so I agree with you. There was this massive sigh of relief. And I don't want to p- to paint all right-wing um, places in the same in the same no. um, colors because there were many boards who were just saying that, yep, this is this is expected. It seems fair. Yeah, there there was agreement across the board. It's just on the extreme right wing and the extreme manipulation end of it. There was this pushback, and there still is this pushback. Right, that pushback is a problem. Okay, well we'll get onto some of the bigger picture stuff in a second, but I want to make a point about Derek Chauvin's defense attorney here because time and time again, right throughout the murder trial, Eric Nelson, who's the lawyer, found a way to bring up George Floyd's drug use. He repeatedly highlighted the mix of substances in George's system, including fentanyl. He asked expert witnesses whether 
uh, his inability to breathe was because of an overdose. And it wasn't, by the way, because of a man kneeling on his neck for nine minutes. But we we see this tactic Uh. all the time. So people's pasts being used to justify violent ends against them and defendants then getting away with serious crimes Mm -hmm. by attempting to highlight the flaws of the victim and blaming them. For example, rape victims who are painted as, oh, they enjoyed sex a lot. Yeah, or, or they were asking for it for the way they dressed. Or, yeah, photos plastered on social media of them on nights out. So yeah. my main point here is that someone's criminal record or addictions or personal demons are immaterial to how they were killed. For example, one of my friends in Govan died of a heroin overdose last year. Right. Good man was clearly battling demons beyond my comprehension. And just because someone has issues yeah. does not excuse their life being taken away from them in, in such a, a callous way. But this this to me goes beyond the defence attorney. It's also, as you've touched on there, the way I've seen some people, a small, deranged handful of people on social media, mm-hmm. decry Derek Chauvin as innocent. Like, genuinely, I've seen people say he's innocent. An innocent man. Yeah. Forgetting the part where there is footage of him pressing his knee into another man's neck for nine minutes until he is dead. Yeah. Like, what What part of literally watching one human end the life of another person yeah. are you failing to consider? And the other aspect, sorry, one final point. The other aspect of those defending Mr. Chauvin's actions is blatant racism. Because let's flip this story the other way around. If what happened to George happened to someone I knew, uh, a cousin or, God forbid, a sibling... And then, despite the video footage, I was still legitimately concerned that the officer might get away with it because of the way the justice system is. You bet I would be on the streets making a racket and protesting about it, as would these people on social media if it were someone they knew and not George Floyd. Yeah, and there's there's a whole other side of the defence that's been really discussed. This is the public defence. It's the... um, We see worse things in this happening... Uh, in like combat in the Middle East for, with, with our soldiers, should all of the, should all of them be in prison too? And I'm like, well, firstly, probably yes if they've been doing similar things to this. Uh, secondly, they're doing it. I hope to combatants, literal enemies of the state, uh, as declared by whatever legal procedures. Yeah, the police are not an army, and they are never taking down an enemy. <laughs> it's never a combatant. They might be some. They might be trying to deal with someone who is a threat, which very rarely is justified. Um, But this kind of a response isn't even appropriate then. You're dealing with somebody who is a threat for all sorts of different reasons and are mostly a danger to themselves. It is the police's job to treat them as a citizen who needs help in that moment, not as an enemy target to be dealt with, Um, which is what we see in policing in the States quite a lot. And we see um, people calling for it across the world. And it's not okay and it's not okay to say hey we do this in foreign nations to their soldiers why can't we do it to our own citizens that's awful yeah okay so so let's talk about the bigger picture then because i believe it, it's vital that we shed some light on this even though i doubt that this is uh th- this moment in history is a sign of things changing because i don't think they will at least no yeah it's not the victory that certain people in the democrats are claiming it to be no no so so to start with some facts according to bowling state university there have been at least 15,000 deaths at the hands of us police officers since 2005 yeah so that's about 1000 deaths a year and this is the seventh 
conviction for murder out of 15,000. That is staggering. Now, of course, some of these will be legitimate. Mass shootings, uh, armed men who've shot at police. But what we've been seeing time and time again, as was the case with George Floyd, is unarmed people, particularly black people, being killed. Mm -hmm. Breonna Taylor, for example, shot five times in her apartment last March. Not a single officer has been charged. Eric Garner, we talked about, that was back in 2014, Mm -hmm. was put into an illegal chokehold, died an hour later. The officer was never charged, was only fired uh, in 2019, which we also talked about. You know what they get instead of getting charged? They get like book deals and they get fame. And and placed on desk duty. That's what I learned. Oh, yeah. And and one more I wanted to, to talk about, Stephen Clark, who in 2018 was shot at least 10 times by officers and killed, and he only had his phone on him. Nobody yeah. was charged in that case either. And those are just, those are a handful of, of an enormous list of, of victims that we've talked about and, and dozens more that are you know, are still unknown. So Philando Castile comes to mind, Alton Sterling, Michael Brown, Trayvon Martin, Tamir Rice, who was 12. Yeah. And as we discussed, even just last week, Dante Wright and Adam Toledo, who was 13. He's a kid. Yeah. And, and that, is, that is only scratching the surface. So, right, lastly, before I hand over to you, because I am both very angry and feel completely powerless at this entire situation. And the more I've been reading into it and, you know, finding out these statistics and these stories of people, uh, it just, it makes me feel, yeah, powerless. Mm-hmm. And I'm angry at people who turn a blind eye to this because of reasons Here's, here's some actual data about what this all says about life in the States. So despite making up 13% of the population, black men are two and a half times more likely than white men to be killed by police. And another study has showed uh, black men who were fatally shot by police were twice as likely as white people to be unarmed. Now, I am not naive enough to suggest every single one of those killings is down to racism. In many cases, there are other factors involved, namely poverty, a lack of access to public services, which is then leading to a deterioration in people's mental health and well-being, as well as the fact that many of these shootings are of white people. But this is more than just Derek Chauvin being one bad egg. This, to me, is an issue of police brutality and aggression. This is uh, Derek Chauvin being made a scapegoat for the bigger institutions that trained him to be violent, legitimised his violence on countless occasions before he was caught by a a teenager on her camera phone taking it too far for for nine minutes. Now, police and their supporters, as you've said, will point to this case as a a fair outcome and a reminder of, of the justice of the criminal punishment system in the States. But let's not kid ourselves here. The constant needless violence of policing is only going to continue, as we're seeing and have seen, on a regular basis for for years now. And genuinely, I don't know what changes. Okay, it's over to you. The, the big part of this is that racism is a part of the problem. And then saying, hey, white people get killed too, doesn't make that racism go away. And it doesn't also make the white people getting killed too go away. It just means there is an even bigger problem. And yeah, people as a as a society need to band together uh, under all of the banners and tackle the overarching issues which in this case as you highlighted is this like militarization of the police where they are taught to be aggressive they are taught to be uh, 
hyper um, aware of all possible threats so, so far as imagining them themselves and um, trying to dehumanize their targets and whatnot and calling them targets and calling them combatants and things like that. There's so many yep. um, signs of a massive problem with policing in the States. And the thing that we can learn here in the UK from that is that while our police forces aren't there yet, we have to be super vigilant of any slow trickle towards that. There are parties within the UK political structure who want more aggressive policing and who want more militarized policing and who want the police to be carrying more weapons and being able to respond to things with bigger force. And it will just cause a problem if there is not this accountability within the police and there's not this uh, vision from the police of everybody being a citizen and everybody being somebody who needs saved, not um, targeted and not put down. I don't think there's going to be significant change anytime soon in the States because both the parties that lead the States are a big part of the problem. Biden is one of the main reasons that policing is the way it is. And hey, Biden's in charge now. Yep. And Pelosi's been had, had significant um, power in the States for decades at this point, hasn't ever made any progress and is now pretending to be on the side of the, uh, of the many and of the... Um, on the tread upon um, where she's been a part of the problem and and I don't see many new names getting voted into places of power where they can actually make a difference and have that legitimacy behind them and I don't think people who are relaxed and in power and have been for decades are really keen to change too many things they they love the police state there and I hope it changes and that the the prison lobbies fall apart and that there is no more incentive for profiting off of uh, crime so it's police forces and prisons are all for profit there. And we must avoid that in the UK too. Okay. Another point I want to put, make is that I can't imagine what would have happened if there wasn't a video evidence. Yep. And I can't imagine how many other cases have completely fallen apart because there was no video evidence. It's, it's telling that it took yep. nine minutes of directly recorded video to get us to a state where there is some accountability in the police. Um, so the lesson we learn across the world is record everything. If you see the police being aggressive and you're not sure why, record it immediately. And don't leave until you're done recording. And if they try to take you down as well, because the police do that in the UK too, where they try and get their people to put their cameras away, Refuse. It's your right to record. And the final thing is this idea that because the police perceive a threat, they need to respond with lethal force. Absolutely not. We can laud the police in the UK a little bit for this. Um, They respond to weapon crime and and threats of violence without lethal force all the time. And knife crime is met with um, de-escalation, uh, a taser if need be. Very rarely do we see lethal force needing to be used. And it's only right. when somebody is presenting a threat directly to the public and they can't be corralled. And that's important. If we ever see that slipping away where lethal force starts being uh, required or or asked for, we got to shut that down because it is far easier than, than they led us on um, to believe Oh, sorry, it is far easier to be non-lethal and to be non-violent than they let us believe. Exactly. We've seen this in the last few days. In fact, it was on the day of the verdict of uh, the George Floyd trial that 16-year-old Micaiah Brandt was shot by police. Now, the video footage that was released was of her yeah. wielding and swinging a knife. But it's one of these cases that, let's take that to the UK, mm-hmm. and as we've seen, and there were people who were responding to that story with uh, similar body cam footage, 
of uh, a white guy, I believe it was Ryan Neff, who actually stabs a police officer yeah. on his on his body cam. Yeah. And as uh, Ryan runs away, the police officer pulls out his taser and yeah. tases him. And that's that's the end of the matter. Whereas here... And that's the difference of the response, yeah. Uh, whereas here it's the question of, well, why have you shot that girl and, and tased another? Or, yeah, and or, of course, the, the, the first thing you're looking for is race, but it is beyond that. It, it is about the yeah. the training. It's about police aggression generally. It's about seeing people, even if they are children, who's 16 years old is a child, seeing them as a target as opposed to someone who needs help. Yeah, I think that's the, the major difference or a major difference when you look at the different body cam footage or pictures or things is that police in some countries are taught to take a step back and pull out a gun and police in other countries are taught to take a step forward and like help. Uh, and just uh, before we wrap up this section, to, we, we've been talking more generally about uh, policing, but it's important that we look at what the law is saying or what future laws are about to say. So we've had this week, uh, Iowa and Oklahoma introduce bills which would give protection to drivers who hit people with their cars at protests. Yeah. So over the uh, the last... Now, this is one of these bills which is unlikely to make it into law. However... We hope. It, yeah, indeed. It is one of those ones which is indicative of how certain members of the political divide are feeling. Mm-hmm. Of course, these have... So these have both been introduced by the GOP, by the, by the Republicans. Of course. Which would, uh, particularly in those states give legal protection uh, to drivers who hit rioters with their car. Yeah. And even in Minnesota, there was discussion uh, this week about stripping resources like food stamps, unemployment benefit from people who have been attending a protest, which is both a a violation of the First Amendment, which we know Americans love so dearly, but it's even... They love their amendments a lot. But it's even just the fact that you're criminalizing or you're suggesting criminalizing people for exercising the right to protest like that yeah what world are we living in now yeah it was one of the two leading nations of the free world in terms of like public freedom or like shutting down protest and shutting down this and that and trying to encourage people to be compliant and everything and we don't see any and it's the parties of who, who supposedly are for individual rights and individual freedoms are leading the charge into corralling everybody into their uh, into their little safe boxes where we can't do anything that uh, upsets the people in charge and the people in government. Um, <laughs> and it's also an embarrassing label for the UK or the US to suggest that they've ever been world leaders in uh, liberty or any of such thing. Okay, James, the other big story of the week has been, and uh, it's okay, listeners, if you want to skip forward the next 10 minutes, football, hooray, in the European Super League. So this was, I would say... It was, it was the biggest and most interesting news in sports in, in decades. I have never been refreshing the soccer subreddit more often. I have not been trawling through football hashtags this much in my life yep. I was invested well, on Monday night certainly I was I was all into this so this was the story uh, 
that 12 of Europe's biggest clubs, including six from England... Biggest in terms of debt, ha. Uh, uh, yeah, and, and not even biggest in terms of positioning, seeing as Arsenal are currently ninth in their respective league. <laughs> but these uh, clubs announced at half past 11 on Sunday night that they were going to start their own league called the European Super League. Yes. And, and what this would mean yes. would be that instead of the Champions League and the Europa League, which are currently the uh, continental-wide competitions, these 12 massive teams, including the likes of Real Madrid, Juventus, Barcelona, would essentially have their own little competition every year. Their own little special club. In which none of them could get relegated. No risk. And uh, people would be paying big bucks to see these glamour ties. Yes, the best teams and the best players every week. Yeah, because uh, apparently the billions they're getting at the moment is just not quite enough. So this no. reaction, I, I would I would say, James, I this is the first time I've ever seen a universal condemnation to almost anything. You know, usually... It was- Broad. There are there are even just a tiny amount of supporters for for something. Even you know VAR, video assistant referees have their supporters. But this was criticised by everyone. The fans started yeah. protesting outside grounds. We had former players speak out. Gary Neville, Alan Shearer were all given it uh, tonto on Sky Sports and BBC. Yeah. Uh, Good we had the people from the Champions League, uh, from UEFA, from FIFA speak out. We had Boris Johnson speak out. Yeah, governments got involved on day one. We had uh, Macron and French, uh, in French, in France speak out as well. <laughs> and French. And by the time I, I want to say Tuesday afternoon or Tuesday evening came around, yeah, 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 we began to see the clubs embarrassingly, sheepishly announced that they were actually not going to do this idea after all. Ha, guys, ha, we're your friend. Promise. Ha, um, we made a mistake. Ha. So there had been a bunch of threats from FIFA, who are the world footballing body, saying that any players who took part yeah. would be banned from playing for their national teams, uh, that these clubs would be chucked out of their own domestic competitions. The backlash was enormous. Uh, and yep. let's just talk, first of all, James, about the idea itself, because the <laughs> Managers were asked about this, Jurgen Klopp at Liverpool, and we had uh, Pep Guardiola at Man City, both of whom admitted that the first they heard of it was when the news broke. Yes. So clearly, this was simply a scheme, and it has been now revealed, a scheme cooked up by foreign owners, particularly uh, American owners of the likes of uh, Liverpool and Manchester United, who came together to say, hey, yeah, let's make ourselves even richer by having a competition that none of us can lose. Yes, they learn from other sports models where there is very little risk. Right, so, so, so talk me through the mindset here. What was going through their minds when they, when they put this together? Well, I think they realised that the current football structure kind of shares the money a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. Like the organisers take a bit of it and they sometimes like teams in the lower leagues get a little bit to try and help them improve and keep the leagues afloat and keep the competitions going and you know it doesn't all just end up in the owners pockets and they thought hmm hmm what can we do to make sure more of the global money that is involved in the biggest sport in the world goes into our pockets you know what let's make money printer the league <laughs> 
and they tried to make money prints of the league. They tried to out capitalism capitalism. They did. And they tried it just they tried it just a little too far. They didn't realize how effectively capitalist the current system is. And I think they thought they had more power than they did, or more popularity than they did. They are out of touch with their clubs, of course, yep. as is as is established for most of them. Um they are failures in terms of leadership already for the most part. And this is just yet another indicator that they are not in the sport for the sport. They're not in the sport for enjoyment. They're not in the sport for anything except income. Um, and they got JP Morgan to, to give them a backing. And JP Morgan has lost some of its credit rating be- right. <laughs> because they failed. Yeah, so I, I want to just briefly mention this. They had the uh, <laughs> the financial muscle of, of Wall Street Bank JP Morgan, who had uh, backed yeah. them to the tune of £4.6 billion pounds a year. Huge. And in the aftermath of this league um, being announced and then shutting down in the space of 48 hours, JP Morgan's, I want to say it was their, both their financial rating, but also their morality indicator yeah those are the things was downgraded from from like fair to inadequate which i thought was hilarious because very funny that is absolutely what you deserve yeah there's a lot there's a lot of comeuppance that i think is still missing and one of the big things i'm going to be keeping an eye on is what happens next if this continues right so so a couple of points i want to make first one being that the clubs that made up this European Super League were exclusively English, Spanish, and Italian. Now, this is not for yeah. want of asking, because they invited Paris Saint-Germain and Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund from France and Germany, respectively, to join the Super League, mm-hmm. and they all said no. And other nations indicated that they were just ignoring the emails. <laughs> right. So Paris Saint-Germain, I'm unsure what their reasons were, but Germany, both clubs and the majority of clubs in Germany follow an ownership structure of 51 and 49 yeah. with the 51% being fans so every club fan owned every club is owned by the fans yeah and this is what and people have been talking about this for years and it very very rarely happens i, I believe hearts are fan owned motherwell are fan-owned as well, I believe, but that... Ugh, I'm struggling to think of any more. Partick might be, I'm not sure. P- potentially. No, they're American-owned. But, but this is the issue. The German clubs saw this, and because they're fan-owned, went, absolutely not. That's, that's a terrible idea. <laughs> well, yeah, we don't want to just let down every other fan in Germany. Whereas the owners who are aloof and, I don't know, own multiple clubs in some instances, just thought only of the paycheck. Yeah, because money begets success in this instance. If they manage to make like 15 of the teams in the world have most of the money, then they'll also have the best players and then they will be the best teams slowly over time. We also had, sorry, we also had the Real Madrid uh, owner Fiorentino Perez, who's 74, Mm -hmm. say that uh, the European Super League was saving football because apparently, according to this uh, septuagenarian, young people don't like football anymore, despite the fact it is the biggest sport in the world. So, as you say, James, the next step is, well, what is the comeuppance for these clubs? Uh, I know there has been talk in Italy and Spain, most of which I've been seeing has been to do with the English clubs. We had the chief executive of Arsenal apparently phone up the other 14 Premier League chief execs to apologise. And we had a a Mm -hmm. bunch of statements 
posted. Arsenal being the only team to to seemingly be apologising. Indeed, I did actually analyse this for for Pink Elephant. Uh, Arsenal being the only ones who had something close to an apology. The rest of them yeah. were just like two lines, Jargon. two paragraphs of unclear, unapologetic guff. And then we had uh, a couple of pre-recorded yeah. video messages uh, as well from the American owners of Liverpool and then of Manchester United, which were similarly shot down. Yeah. So, James, what is what is a, a sufficient uh, punishment for these clubs? Because people have, have suggested yeah. uh, deducting points, relegation, all sorts of things. Yeah, both of those seem reasonable, even for suggesting that they were going to join the Breakaway League, and especially for signing contracts saying that they were going to join a Breakaway League that only benefits them and nobody else. Those clubs still, even though they've pulled out and indicated that they're pulling out, deserve punishment. They deserve points off, they deserve relegations, they deserve... Um, something in terms of retribution. They can't just be let back into the full, like, oh, yeah, yep, you've learned yep. from your capitalistic mistakes. Um, the question I have, and it's we don't have a lot of hope because of the state of the leaders of the nations. The question I have is whether we're going to see any structural differences made right. in any of these leagues, whether we are going to see other countries trying to enact this 51-49 ownership split by force, by mandate, in in all of their leagues. And... I kind of hope they do. Um, I, I believe in the democratization of of business. And that's not state-owned business. That's people-owned business, yeah, not, yeah. N- not just one individual. Um, I know that in Germany, most of the teams do it. And the teams that kind of like try and cheat the system are frowned upon. Is it Schalke? Well, Red Bull Leipzig being the most obvious one. Not Yeah, not Schalke. Leipzig, yeah. Well, they're not, they're not called Red Bull. Um, I'll have you know they just they're RB Leipzig. Yeah, they just reference themselves as that. They've only got they they their their um, supporter owner shares are so expensive that they only needed to sell a few, and it's it's mostly Red Bull employees that bought them. Um, but that that structure seems seems on the on in the overall state of things to have better teams and better support and right. better. Um, responses in general to things. Cheaper tickets as well. Cheaper tickets. Um, And I hope we can see that because the current system of football is disgusting. It needs a lot of fixing. Making it even more (laughs) um, money-oriented and even more owner-oriented is not the fix. It needs to be more fan-oriented. It's not going to be interesting unless the fans are engaged. One final point because time is ticking away. First of all, this was incredibly entertaining to watch fall apart as quickly Huge. as it did. Yeah. But secondly, I believe there's a lot of misgivings among general fans as to how much money talks in the game nowadays. You know, it's not the fan-focused experience, certainly not the top level, that it used to be. No. You know, it, it is about no. you know, how much are the Champions League paying us this year. Yeah, how, how, much, how much money are we guaranteed per year? Right. It's it's the big clubs growing frustrated with the fact that they get more money for winning domestically than they do uh, on a bigger scale in the in the continent, and they want to have some sort of reform. And they decided that the best way of reforming would be to start their own closed boys club. Yeah, and they thought that they'd just do it and then no have no repercussions. Oh, precisely. So my <laughs> enduring hope would be that the powers that be will actually do what they've said and punish the clubs. But also yeah. address some of the imbalances because this is the time to you know time to take back what's rightfully ours for the wee guys yeah. for the smaller clubs who have been 
more and more as the years have gone on shunted out of the cash and the big clubs get bigger and the smaller clubs just stay where they are. Yeah. And that to me is, is completely unfair. The big clubs would completely fail without all the smaller clubs, whereas all the smaller clubs would thrive without <laughs> yeah, the big would. clubs. It's the same as any other system. The people at the top are not necessary. They need to be paying good amounts of dividends to everybody else to keep propping them up. All the feeder teams, all the teams that do the legitimate player scouting, all the teams that do the legitimate training, all the teams that give them a fair competition week to week are vital. The big teams, not. Yep. As they have learned, I hope. And as governments have learned, I hope, um, having massive investors who own the majority of a club is not in the best interest of our market, of our economy, because the money doesn't flow if it all just goes into somebody's uh, shares uh, shares account and they just own even more stuff and they are a foreign national. So I think they tried to game the system so hard that even the likes of Boris Johnson and co were going, <laughs> yep. hmm, hmm, this might be too much money going into the pockets of the rich. This is too capitalist for our capitalist beliefs. Yeah, so if it can even persuade Boris and his pals to, on day one, make a statement, yep. then hopefully they will be persuaded to actually follow up, even though the whole plan has been kind of shelved for now. Because, come on, these same teams, they're just going to make a plan B and try again. Oh, th- th- yeah, th- that's what I would say. This is essentially putting off the inevitable. Yeah. They, will eventually, they will eventually come back mm-hmm. with a new plan, which they don't announce at half yeah. past midnight on a Sunday <laughs> with a PR firm that they've just asked to join a couple of hours before. Yeah. And they'll have done, they'll have learned from what went wrong and they'll come, a- and they'll come again. Yeah, so if there's not massive reform this year, it will happen again because these clubs are not trustworthy. I hope if anybody here supported one of these clubs that they are kind of like changing their mind and they're going to support a legitimate football club after this. Because going to support West Brom. It is so much more interesting supporting a team who aren't guaranteed constant success and winning. Yep. I remember actually uh, Kenneth telling me he'd grown a bit tired of watching Celtic because they were just winning everything, which is a fair point. It's valid. It's really boring. It's no fun. I enjoy watching my little Livingston team like get maybe middling off the table every season and <laughs> always always yeah. starting the season with potentially getting relegated. It's, it's, it keeps me invested. And I was invested in this because we might see these teams get relegated, and I still am. Okay, one more story. Speaking of the Prime Minister, Boris Johnson has said he makes no apology for moving heaven and earth to get ventilators during the pandemic amid a row over lobbying. Now, we talked about Greens Hill Capital last week. This week, it's Dyson, uh, and particularly Sir James Dyson. So, in text messages seen by the BBC, Mm -hmm. the Prime Minister texted Mr Dyson promising to fix tax changes that uh, the entrepreneur was yeah. wanting. Mr. Johnson said any prime minister would have done the same thing no, they uh, to secure have. crucial ventilator supplies. Uh, so, so, did, they, did they secure any? Well, I don't know, but to read into this... <laughs> no, Dyson didn't do anything. I get the impression that Mr. Johnson said, I will, I will fix the tax if you give us ventilators. Give us a couple of ventilators and we'll uh, make sure your tax is even lower. And uh, in, in the uh, Prime Minister's questions, Labour leader Sir Keir Starmer said something I agree with, which was, there's one rule for those who have the Prime Minister's phone number yeah. and a rule for everybody else. And he, he's on the money there. Well, yeah, because it's it's even beyond the 
the it, there, there's a rule for the poor and the rule for the rich, and it's beyond lobbying. This isn't lobbying. There's a big difference between lobbying through legitimate means and then yeah. directly contacting the leader of a nation by by WhatsApping um, them. To, chat business or or what have you right um and i think the bbc's article on this was disgusting it was disgusting because the op-ed and everything was just so tame and so supportive and yeah they were just trying their best it's okay to it's okay to do this and, oh, i couldn't believe I, trying to read this is difficult because nobody's coming against it hard enough the apology should be demanded it is not okay to be promising favors um, for for favors because yep. Dyson aren't a ventilator company, right? <laughs> they could have been chasing up legitimate uh, procurement. They ventilate carpets. <laughs> In a way. Uh, they could have been chasing up legitimate procurement. They could have been chasing up legitimate channels and building up businesses that were actually going to deliver. Dyson were not going to deliver. Their plans that they had were not adequate. Similar to Tesla's plans. The plans they had were not adequate. And everybody's like lauding them as like philanthropist capitalists. But hey, turns out they were just going to do it if it was profitable for them. Yep. So just on the the BBC coverage, Laura Kunzberg wrote the analysis, which uh, I'm reading over now. And the final paragraph is like, Okay, so we don't I don't really know if this is breaking the ministerial code because the code doesn't cover people texting. Yeah. Like, it's all right because it's a gray area. <laughs> it's like the, the code doesn't really cover the reality of how people communicate. That's ah <sighs> uh, yeah, so I completely agree that they went totally soft touch on this. There the she and the BBC are just such little toe lickers. They just to- they lick the toes of the government. <laughs> Oh, man. Yeah, and it's the fact that the Greensill Capital story was running for days before it even made yeah. the BBC News homepage. And yet we get, like, another notification that, like, William and William and Harry were seen, like, walking nearby each other, and that's that's worth a notification. Uh, well, also this week, Boris cancelled his visit uh, to India after uh, the country was finally placed on the red list. They're seeing... <laughs> I think, like, a day after seeing he was going. Indeed, yeah, they're seeing COVID cases through the roof at this point. And uh, also, James, the news that the £2.6 million <laughs> that 10 Downing Street spent on their new press room turns out... Boris has decided he doesn't want to use it. Yeah, they even wasted that money. I can't believe it. They even wasted the the money that was spent just to make them look good. Yeah, I, I don't understand the reasoning for that because they wanted to, clearly had been watching the US briefings yeah. and figured, ah, oh, we need a shiny room like that. And then what, the last minute? Yeah, we need somebody who's taught how to answer questions to answer all the questions for us. Yeah, and then what, the last minute when they see it ready, they think, well... We're not that American. Well, I think they realized that Boris was still going to have to actually do them <laughs> and that having it be more interactive and press-oriented and back-and-forthy, he'd have to answer the questions and therefore it's bad. So let's not make this happen right now. I, I don't quite get what difference it makes overall and it is just another question of maybe they paid their mates to make the thing and the job's done now. <laughs> I do, I, this, it's the most logical conclusion I can come to is that the whole point was the project and the project is done and now they don't need it because the whole point was building it. That sounds feasible. Maybe we'll see it used in the future. It was it was ugly anyway, so I'm, I'm, I'm glad we won't be seeing it. But I think it is just about sheltering Boris and sheltering everybody and they're going to try and find another way to shelter them rather than actually be accountable.
Right, James, let's move on to entertainment, our final section of the show. We've got a trailer, a couple of, uh, a couple of pieces of Marvel stuff. One's a trailer, one's a bit of news. Oh, yeah. But let's talk about what we've been watching. I have a TV show right here. What do you have? Two movies. Two. Okay, right. Give us, Two. Give us Palm Springs, first of all, because we did talk about this last week. Interested to see what you thought. We did, yeah. No, so I, I watched it that weekend. Uh, I had the free time. You, you told me it was an easy peasy thing to watch, and my goodness, it was an easy peasy thing to watch. <laughs> yes, it, just it is. Delivers. It tells you exactly what it is in the first few minutes, and then it just finishes telling a story over the next while, and it does so with entertaining characters. It does so with realistic, in some senses, characters, and slightly out there, but not too unreasonably out there uh, in terms of other elements of their character. Um, overall, I, I, I rate this. I rate this as as very good. I would recommend watching it. Maybe not with your parents. I don't know. It kind of depends on how uh, how open they are to to seeing True. drug use and references to sex, I suppose. Um, but it delivered, and it left me with one or two questions about hey, nature of life, meaninglessness. What is it? And it left me with one or two questions about hey, what happens to the characters next? And because I, I liked them and I want to know. Uh, so overall, yeah. I, I kept thinking positive things about it, having seen it and having finished it. I would recommend this film as much as you and Kenneth did. Very good. Okay, well, let me share the TV show I finished wait, this week. Wait, it wait, is wait. Rick and Morty. It did also make me never want to sunbathe. <laughs> it just looks so awful. Yeah, I'm with you on that. Sun cream is much better than cancer. <laughs> it's, it's true. I'm not, I'm not glad. I'm not kidding. It is. <laughs> it is. It is. Okay, well, on that note. And also, uh, tanning makes you age. So you know, I want to keep keep my youthful looks for as yes. long as I can. Moisturize, don't tan. That's how you do. Stay young forever. Absolutely. Okay, Rick and Morty season four. James, this show is without doubt the weirdest show I have ever seen. And how long has season four been out for? I'd say a year. Season five is about okay. to come out next month. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's just making sure it was the one season I've seen. Right. So so it's ten episodes long. And this season, yes. I would say, has more guest stars than any other. A bit more episodic again. They have the likes of Paul Giamatti. They have Taika Waititi. Mm-hmm. Sam Neill mm-hmm. popping up in voice roles. Mm-hmm. And what I would say about this season is it, it felt very bitty in that it was lacking any sort of overarching thread. I thought they were going to give us one, yeah. but they didn't. They just sort of expanded on Not this on some of the characters and gave us a, a little bit more depth. Mm-hmm. But my feeling, James, and this was typified by, I would say, a, an episode in the middle of the season, where essentially the, the, the message of the episode was nothing matters because there's infinite universes and therefore there's infinite versions of us. So if we die or if something happens, it's fine because there's other versions of us. And the show at that point yeah. almost became too meta for its own good because right. shows become in, are, are engaging when you care about the characters but when you get told what, yeah. actually none of this matters because there because there's dozens there's infinite numbers of these Ricks and Mortys yeah it, it loses some of its impact yeah you lose some of the investment in the uh, storylines of like are they gonna survive right. right is Rick gonna survive his bad mental health right that you're kind of like well if he doesn't, then the next one will a little bit longer. Right, so... so we'll just move on to the next one. So I went back to some of the episodes of season two in which Rick is dealing with his alcoholism and 
the fact that he's basically been shunned by all his family members and he attempts to kill himself and he fails. Yeah. It's an incredibly... And that was a meaningful moment. Meaningful, moving, emotional moment and episode. Whereas... It was well done. It it was, absolutely. And there was another part, I want to say of season two, where in in planet Earth, Rick and Morty's uh, whatever adventure happened that week goes so horribly wrong, they save the day, but then they have to leave and they have to find another Earth. And they, they find yeah. one which is exactly the same as the one they've just left, but their their own selves have just died. And the first thing that Rick and Morty have to do mm-hmm. is bury their dead selves. Yeah. And in the context of the show, it's incredibly dark. It's incredibly another emotive episode. And it works because you care about the characters. But during season four, I felt they told us, actually, this doesn't matter because there's loads of them and they're replaceable. So I I lost... Yeah, they made it a lot more meaningless. Right. So I lost my interest and investment in the show. I still find it interesting. And there was a couple episodes, which one with Jeffrey Wright, actually, the Westworld uh, actor. Yeah. One with Jeffrey Wright, which I thought was onto something. And then, again, it just... Didn't follow up with it, so yeah. There, I think there were one or two episodes in the season that were still pretty standout good, and then it was, it was all right. It was passable for the rest. I, I would say there, there are hits and misses, and I know this yeah. show has signed up to another seventy episodes, Oof. but to me, it has to bring back some sort of arc, some sort of yeah. overarching story, because otherwise, it's just episodes for the sake of episodes, and that doesn't really interest me. Yeah, I think what they're doing is relatively clever where each season kind of treats the overarching purpose of the season a bit differently. Uh, so it either leans more episodic or more procedural with an episodic feel. And the kind of mix and of all those varying degrees each season does keep it fresh in a sense. Um, but they need to deliver good episodes right. when they do that. They, they can't just like give you weak episodes and call it a filler season. Okay, James, you've got one more movie to review. What have you watched? I watched Fury. Oh, so this, I, I recall, is a war movie with Shia LaBeouf. Shia LaBeouf. Um, and uh, a couple other, Logan Lerman is in it. Brad Pitt. Oh, yeah, I forgot Brad Pitt was <laughs> Yeah. Um, and uh, John Bernthal, a very handsome man. John Bernthal's in it. He's playing a not very handsome man. And wait, who else he's, is in he's it? He's missing a tooth. Who's, who's Ant-Man's par- partner in crime? Oh, uh, Michael Pena. Pena is in it. I- I'm sure they'll edit that really strange intro down into something <laughs> <into> succinct. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's a war movie. It's about a tank crew who have survived all of the war so far as one crew, even though that, that element is a bit unrealistic. Um, going through the final days of the war, trying to like clear the path through Germany and protect against counterattacks and stuff like that. Um, it's 50-50. Yeah. Uh, the film is 50-50. The characters are pretty excellent and the characters are pretty well acted and they're very unique. Yep. And they've got enough behind them to justify their existence and their purpose in the film. Um, I'm invested in the characters and their history and what's going to happen to them. I'm invested in them finding purpose in their final days in the war. Um, but my goodness, is, the, is, is any action scene just a mess? Uh, almost all the action scenes are a mess rather there's just no sense to them there's no battle tactics there's no there's nothing that made me invested in the actual fight scenes which took up quite a lot of the film except this hour chunk in the middle that was a bit more uh, relaxed and also harrowing and while also being very character driven so the character driven parts of this film are great and then the tank driven parts i was just not enjoying at all um, except this one part in the middle 
or towards the end where they face off against one of the one of the king tanks. <laughs> yeah, they their their trip their three tank uh, crew meets meets one of the German um Tiger tanks or whatever. Oh yeah, Panzer. And that that tank scene is a bit better. That one, that overall is because it's tank versus tank is more interesting. Okay. But man, they had no idea how infantry works in military. It was disgustingly <laughs> bad. Um, but there are there are a lot of elements to enjoy in this film. But and it's mostly character driven um, elements. The main cast and some of the side characters are good. But okay, if you if you are watching this film and you, you you don't care about battle scenes except explosions, you'll enjoy it. If you care about battle scenes on a slightly more uh, d- deep level, uh, maybe maybe fast forward those. Okay, well, if you have finished anything, a TV show, a movie, a book, or you just had some good cereal today, you can review it and send it to us, seesawparade at gmail.com. We will play it as we have done over the last few weeks. Yes. Right, well, on that note, let's move on. Two more stories to go to. The first one is a trailer. It is for Marvel's new movie, yes. Shang-Chi and the Ten Rings. Let's have a listen. I gave you ten years to live your life. Now you see me rise. And where did that get you? You walked in my shadow. I trained you. The most dangerous people in the world couldn't kill you. It's time for you to take your place by my side. Okay, James, I have some thoughts on this. Would you like to go first? Marvel doing martial arts relatively well should be good. They look like they've, they've they're giving it a different flavor to their other films. They are going for a, yep. a more um, flowy camera and flowy fighting style with legitimate um, grounding behind it in terms of film history and stuff like that. So it looks stylish, but I find there is very little of a reason to watch this. I am not hooked. I don't see what makes this interesting. Okay, and um, but I am pleased it exists. I think it is important that it ex- that it exists, and I hope it is a success, and I hope it is good. But the trailer didn't win me over. Okay, well, I've got three points. The first one is that I agree with you. It is a good thing that this film is here, and that it exists. And I believe that Marvel saw what they had with Black Panther and thought, "Hey, we should do something similar for an Asian audience." Yeah, and. Uh, and it will become a, a massive super film like we saw with Crazy Rich Asians over the last uh, couple of years. Yes, they possibly are just capitalisming um, ethnicity, which I don't agree with. I would say part of it is definitely to do with that. Yeah, but hopefully there is the real the real human elements as well that is a legitimate benefit to society. I agree. The second point is that there are parts of this trailer which I thought, that looks great. Yeah. Because it felt very, very different. Mm-hmm. to what Marvel have done before. And then my third point. It was great up until the last 15 seconds. And then oh. it became Marvel because it was the kind of Marvel humor. Yeah. And just the CGI rubbish. Mm-hmm. Of, I just, I, I was on board until they went for the post title. Oh, here's something a bit more lighthearted. And I thought, yep, yeah. this is a Marvel film. Ah, uh, yeah. I'm, I'm hoping that that's rare. I hope that they are just making a legitimate film. Um, but no, I agree with you there. I'd forgotten about that. <laughs> I'd blanked that from my memory. Okay. Uh, but in terms of did it reveal the plot? No, not really. Not really. And uh, I'm okay with that. Yeah, one of the sad things for me was that when the trailer came out, it didn't trend, 
but Iron Fist trended, and I was like, ah, why? It's not the same. It's it's not the same. Don't don't compare the two. They're very different things. Don't and especially indeed. Don't make the other one trend. <laughs> don't talk about Iron Fist more than the actual trailer that you've just seen. Uh, okay. I mean, I do want to see Iron Fist done well, you know, but you know. Indeed. Not as much as I want to see this film done well. Okay, final story for the week is that Amelia Clark, better known as Daenerys Targaryen from Game of Thrones, the Mad Queen, is set to join Secret Invasion, which is yes. the next hot original series coming together for Marvel on Disney Plus. So this cast already has. Samuel L. Jackson and Ben Mendelsohn mm-hmm. uh, reprising their previous roles. Absolutely. Olivia Colman, Oscar winner. Yep. And Kingsley Benadir, who I most recently saw in One Night in Miami playing Malcolm X. He is said to be playing the villain. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah, we've got uh, Amelia Clark joining this show. It's all about shape shifting aliens. But, mm-hmm. James, my question is because this is an A list cast, absolutely. Mm-hmm. My belief is, even though this show is about shape-shifting aliens and the fact that Ben Mendelsohn and his uh, appearance in Captain Marvel <laughs> is largely green, I think you can see where I'm going with this, there is no way mm-hmm. that they have a cast this good and they get them all to just be green for the entire yeah. movie. They will yeah. just... <laughs> they probably... T- to me, they will have the a couple of scenes with them in their big prosthetic <laughs> alien heads, and then the yeah, rest of the film, yeah. or the rest of the series, <laughs> will largely just be Ben and Olivia and Amelia and Samuel doing their thing. Yeah, human form, human form. Yep. Human form alien. And I guess the question, if they do that for me, would be like, how do they convey that they are aliens? Surely they don't just act perfectly human the whole time. That would be kind of boring. I, 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 like it. I don't know. I would be, I would be less invested if they just spend their whole entire existence in human form, being did, the actors. Did you see Spider-Man: Far From Home, the sequel? Um, I have not seen it yet. Um, but yeah, I, I know what you're referencing. To, to, to answer your question, I would watch that film first, and then yeah. you could come back to it. Yeah, true, true. I did forget about that right now. Um, I should watch it to make sure that I know the whole thing. Um, but I, 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 I don't, I don't know. They're getting big names. It's good to see big names in TV. That's been a good thing for for decades and years. I do always like when uh, TV gets a chance to shine because it is a superior format for storytelling. It is. Um, and I hope that the story is good. And I'm sure we will have a review of the Falcon and the Winter Soldier next week. Talking of TV, oh, is that is it done next week? I, I believe it's done tomorrow. Oof. I wasn't ready. <laughs> okay, well, you've got you've got eight days. I do have one thing okay. to say about the Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Uh, no, don't spoil it yet. We're not fun. The series not over. Have you not watched the last episode? No, I've not. Okay, save it. Okay, I'll try to remember it for a whole other week. There's your cliffhanger for next week, everybody. Thank you very much for listening. Appreciate it. And if you have any thoughts at all on things we've discussed, you want to disagree with or give your own viewpoint, you can do seesawparade at gmail.com or tweet did, at seesawparade. Yeah, did, did we both just say falcon? The falcon, yes. Fal- falcon. Falcon. That's American, isn't it? I don't know. I'm actually, this is this is what I was asking right now. It's like women like, and is, women which over one's again. A, which, which one's American? Falcon or falcon? I think it's uh, falcon is, is American because data yeah. and status are also American with flat yeah. A's. I'm thinking we both Americanized because it's falcon. an American show. Falcon. Falcon? Yeah, the, fl- flotten. The A's are flottened over there. Okay. <laughs> flottened A's. Right. On that note, thank you, James, for your time. I will see you next week. Bye. Not by Han- Hatmancock. <laughs>
hot moncock. <laughs> <laughs>